fundamentally to labor on someone's behalf is probably the second greatest gift that you can give any other human being besides your love. So I want to labor on behalf as many people as I possibly can. That's why our model was designed to serve more people and to make it a no brainer, irresistible offer to, you know, we want to give, 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 because I think that I, my company, what God's given us the ability to do is very valuable. We're trying to maximize, 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 maximize. How many people can we possibly give this away to? You know, to me, that's a good life. To me, that's life worth living is because they'll see your good works and glorify the father in heaven. If you do it for the right reason. Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist Show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and welcome to the show. Hey, Kingdom Capitalist community, I just want to remind you about the upcoming summit on April 23rd and 24th. This is unlike anything that you have seen on the internet or any event that you have been to, where it really is focused for Christian leaders, for Christian entrepreneurs, investors, business leaders. We are going to be featuring some of the most incredible CEOs, award-winning entrepreneurs and authors, those who really are skilled at creating capital, at building businesses, at investing wisely so that we can grow and compound our money to have more impact and more influence for the kingdom of God. I hope you will join us on April 23rd and 24th, but don't wait to grab your ticket. Prices are only going up every week until the conference. We'll see you live April 23rd and 24th. Go to kcsummit2020.com. That's kcsummit2020.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. This is your host again, Ellis Hammond, and I am so stoked for today. Uh, literally, this episode is going to blow your mind. Uh, the guest that we have on the show is uh, seriously a disruptor in the industry, uh, a disruptor um, in, in his faith, I would say, and just I, th- I think it's going to challenge you. Uh, I, I'm really, really excited to, to have our guest on the show today. I actually went to a one-night mastermind event in Austin, Texas, and we both had the chance to just sit down across from each other. And I really got to see his heart and his vision for, uh, for what he's doing in the real estate industry. And so, so, so excited to introduce to you today, Jonathan Harris. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Ellis. I appreciate uh, you putting me on here and looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, man. I just am so encouraged by someone who is, um, who is kingdom-minded, who's using their business um, and really their faith inside the industry to, to really be a disruptor for good. Um, and I know that's you, man. So um, really, really excited to share your story. So uh, real quick though, Nash Vegas, right? That's where you're at in the world. Nashville, Tennessee, born and raised. That's a good Southern accent you got right there, man. <laughs> you know, like so when I moved to San Diego, people always ask me, like, what, where, you know, why do you sound so funny? And I, I never really heard it until I came back to the South after about six months living in San Diego and realized, man, I definitely got a Southern accent. So. Uh, anyways man glad to have another southern southern gentleman on the call um well before we get started let me just pray for us uh, i think i'm so excited i need to ask god to kind of settle me down a little bit too so lord we, we thank you uh for having us on here and uh, thanks for jonathan thanks for his work there in nashville and across the world excited to get into it uh and share share with our community just uh, uh what he's doing inside the real estate industry and um i pray all this in christ's name amen Bro, so tell our audience uh, really kind of what your business is, Scout Realty, uh, and what you guys are doing there inside of Nashville and abroad. Yeah, so Scout Realty is a company I founded a couple of years ago, um, back in 2013. And so it's a traditional real estate brokerage. And along the way, I began to realize that the way the industry has been set up with realtors uh, charging real estate commissions, it's really designed to, to take more than it delivers in value. And kind of woke up to this reality is that, man, we are kind of taking advantage of people whenever we extract a commission from their equity. That's not a very prop, uh, um, popular statement in our, in our industry, but uh, we started to envision what would it look like if we had just a simple flat fee for service uh, based on the value that we brought our customers. 
And so we went on this mission to eliminate commission. We started to focus on measuring our success and how much we contributed to people, not how much we took from them. And, uh, you know, by the year 2025, we're on this, this, uh, tear that we want to be able to uh, help customers retain a hundred million of their equity. So we kind of inver inverted uh, the way we viewed our customers. Instead of looking at it as our commission, we started looking at it as their equity. And we kind of look at ourselves as the defenders of their equity. And uh, man, we are full steam ahead and really trying to do some amazing work for people, trying to bless as many people as possible. And it's, it's God's blessing. Mm. So just for audience knows, because I know you're not going to brag about yourself uh, and people are thinking, oh, that's crazy. Like that's, that's a wild vision. You've had tremendous success in light of this. I mean, Inc. 5000 company number 1700 or so, you know, 263% growth. I don't know if that was, that's, that's massive over 1500 homes sold 500 million in sales. Uh, I mean, it seems like it's going pretty good, man. I mean, tell us, tell us what this journey has been like, you know, to do, I mean, it, first of all, is anybody else doing this? Where did, where did this model come from? What was the kind of the story of you saying, yeah. Hey, this is, I don't feel good about this. Yeah. You know, a very simple story is I had a client, um, a, pa a past client call and asked me to serve uh, some friends of theirs and they were, they were an elderly couple in their uh, mid eighties and they were trying to sell their house that they had purchased about 50 years ago. And they purchased it for, I think, 24,000 bucks. And the house was now worth about 700. They lived in it. And not that they did a bunch of work or anything like that to improve it. It just, over decades, it just kept appreciating. Mm -hmm. They were lived off of a fixed income. They were on Social Security. And they were starting to struggle to have, pay their monthly uh, expenditures as well as the tax increases. And so her words, whenever she referred was, they can no longer afford to live in the new Nashville. They need to sell their house and keep as much of their money out. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's, 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 that's a lot of, that's, that's a um, situation that many people find themselves to be in. So I told her, I was like, I'll sell this house for just a flat $5,000. And in a sense, they had tens of thousands of dollars of savings. And I thought, man, I could probably do this for a whole lot of other people. And I, began to build a, uh, a model around that. And so we started to look at um, what industry practices were in other countries and found out that kind of like the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun, man, th this is actually pretty commonplace around the rest of the world. I mean, the real estate commissions that American realtors charge is exorbitant in comparison to the rest of the world. Even my friends in Canada that have uh, real estate companies cannot even charge close to what we charge. So I started to understand that two thirds of American homeowners, their, their net worth is tied up in their house. They're the ones that built that equity, not the real estate agent, but yet when they go to sell, we erode their, their net worth. In a sense, it's kind of a parasite host relationship. Uh, we extract something from them without actually contributing to the value. And man, I, I just kind of felt burdened that, you know, I, I think fundamentally, I have, have come to this realization that we only get one life to live and the majority of our life is given to our work. I want my life to be important. Therefore, my work must be important. Mm. How do I qualify important work is to, to bless as many people as I possibly can by solving a, a very significant problem. And I felt like the pricing models and the uh, exchange of value between clients and their real estate representation was a problem and um, I just don't think that we should be pricing based on their value I think we should price based on our value so oh, I can't wait to get into that because some people who I know there's some real estate agents listening to this show they're thinking nah this dude's the devil man so I can't wait to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit but yeah. I know I, I know your heart is so golden this but before we get into your model dude the little time I've spent with you I always think to myself like this guy should have been a missionary. Like he should have, you know, so I want to know quickly to go back a little bit and ask like, how, when did you know that you were called to go into the marketplace and yeah. you know, how was your faith really transformed into a real marketplace leader? Cause every time I talk with you, man, I'm like, you know, like I just feel like, you know, you were one of those guys that probably was told, Oh, you should be out on the front lines, but somehow found yourself inside of the marketplace. What, what was that journey like? I graduated from Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. 
uh, it was a small Christian college. I went there to go play soccer and, um, you know, Union was, a, it was an incredible school. Um, I was a uh, Christian studies minor and uh, I really kind of had a heart for business, but I also had a heart for the Lord and was, a, was an entrepreneurship major with, the, with, with a minor in Christian studies. So even when I graduated college, I went to um, a, a tour of Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, a, a, a Bible college or a, a, a divinity school. I thought, man, maybe I want to be a, a, a preacher or pastor or something like the youth pastor. I, I don't know. And I, I felt very, very, very clear in that uh, time is that I am not supposed to go that direction. I'm supposed to be in business. And, you know, I think since that time, I've, I've really seen that uh, business is a mission. It is your mission field. My company, my people is my congregation in a sense to, to, to draw a parallel. The people that we serve is who God's called us to be. And so I just I've, I've really um, resolved that there's no difference between being a business owner and a pastor and to give deference or higher regard to a preacher versus a business. Somebody's in the business world is is not is not very thoughtful i don't think god really set it up like that so i feel like he's given us all unique callings and has established us in different places in this world to be his man in that world and so for for me i happen to be in the business world i happen to be in the real estate world and this is the place where god's put me and so i want to uh reclaim maybe what's been lost. I want to renew the culture that we engage in. I want to bless people for the name of Jesus and advance his kingdom. And that, that is um, something that I, I would like for your listeners to maybe uh, come to, to this uh, place in their own heart is that no matter where you are in your business or where you are in your life, you're called to be there. Otherwise you probably wouldn't be there. Now you may be called to somewhere else at another point in time. You need to be sensitive to that movement, but you're not less uh, of a Christian or less of a follower because you may not be in the church. Uh, we need people on the front lines putting putting a hand in culture and putting a, 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 your hand into business and advance mm. God's kingdom in that regard. Mm. Well said, man. Well said. And I love actually how you use my own language there. And I, I said front lines regarding missionaries. You said front lines in a lot of the marketplace. And I think we're both right because um, – I, I just I wanted to point that out because this is the front lines, like in the marketplace, right? Like getting to be where most people who will never come to church are at all the time is in is in the marketplace, is inside your yeah. business, and the access that you have into their lives as their boss or as their owner, I'm not owner, but you know what I mean, owner of the business that a pastor would never have. And so, yeah, I mean, incredibly well said, and just the the influence of culture that you have in your business too. So yeah, like a year and a half ago, um, I mean, we had a great year and somebody at the end of the year said, you know, Hey, last year was amazing for you. Like, what was your highlight? There was a lot of highlights I could point to. And I said, you know, my highlight of the year was there was a guy in my company that, uh, he was an atheist. And so, uh, in the mornings before work, we started slowly reading through the book of John together. And this went on for months. And it was crazy to see uh, his transformation because he knew nothing about the Bible, knew nothing about God. Like when I say nothing, there's no context at all. And um, I remember as we are slowly week over week, month over month, reading through the book of John, answering questions, he's wrestling through it. It was one of the later chapters in John where Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate asked Jesus a question and Jesus responded with a question and one of the guards punched Jesus in the face and or smacked him in the face. And I remember at that time, uh, this guy that was in my company who had been an atheist his whole life, that's the way he was raised. Whenever we read that, he was sitting across the table from me and he shot back in his seat and he goes, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that guy just punched God in the face. And I thought, oh my gosh, you have made a distinction that Jesus is God. Mm. And the next couple of weeks, we ended up finishing up John. And I was like, all right, man, well, like, what do, you, what do you think about this, this stuff? I mean, is Jesus a, a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord? Is, is he just a historical figure? Or like, wh wh where, where are you at in who Jesus is? And, and I framed it initially. It's like, hey, Jesus has some disciples or some guys that hung around him and wrote about his life. Let's just read, his, read about his life as a historical figure. 
And at the end of that, that John, at that time going through John those months, he, he looked at me, he's like, man, I believe. Mm. And I said, what do you believe? He's like, I believe that God is Jesus and Jesus is God and that Jesus is God's son. I believe. I said, so you're not, you wouldn't say you're an atheist anymore. He goes, I guess not. I, I believe. <laughs> and he said, what do you think I need to do now? Do I need to like go to a church and, and do I need to talk to somebody or do, sign up or do something? Do I need to give some money? Do I need to like make up for wrongdoings? Do I need to, what, what how, like, what's the next, how do I get in? And I said, get in. He said, yeah, like, like, how do I be like, become a Christian? How do I, you know, how do I be the real deal? Yeah, again, he doesn't have context. And I said, you are in, you, you, you are a believer. You are a Christian. You, you're God's son now. He said, yeah, but what do I have to do? And I said, nothing, man. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, you know, the thief on the cross didn't get off the cross and do something. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Yeah. The fact that you believe, that's it. That's it. And, you know, I had the privilege of baptizing him. We actually went to wow. the lake invited my company to all go to the lake <laughs> for a baptism and we had a barbecue and he and I walked out in the lake and I baptized him in the lake um, with the company and some of his friends and family around and it was that was the highlight of my year because wow. you know God wants to use us where we're at and that's that for me gave me the most meaning and purpose in the year man I got chills like that's what I'm talking about. More people who are willing to take ground for the kingdom inside their business and do excellent work inside their business. And so I'm so glad to share that story, man, because I think it's really important for our audience just to get to know who you are, like and and the man that you are, and not just this great business leader, but a man of God who really is humbly trying to, you know, walk before the Lord and say, How are you using me? Not just in, you know, creating capital and building wealth but also inside my business and with the people that you're past you're pastoring. Right. I mean, seriously, uh, I get six days a week or five, six days a week. Sometimes these guys, a pastor may get a couple hours in the morning and I'm not drawing parallel. Like that's less than I'm more or business to that. It's just like you have more opportunities of impact on an ongoing basis. If you perceive the environment that you're in, in your business as this is my mission field. And it's life on life, day day by day, yeah. all day. Dude, I mean, and, and that's what I think we have kind of gotten away from. The pastor or the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You're the saint, brother, right? Like, you're the one doing the ministry. Um, and I think so, so much times we kind of push that on to the pastor. I let them do the work of ministry. No, they're preparing you. They're prepping you. They're equipping you. And so, yeah, I'm just grateful, man, grateful for what you're doing there. So, um. Gosh. All right. So let's get back then to kind of the mission vision behind Scout. Um, and what you're really trying to do is kind of essentially provide, if I understand it correctly, provide a flat fee for selling people's homes yep. so that they can keep more of their equity in order to live their life or do whatever. That's right. Did I say that simply enough? Simply enough. That's it. So um, I, I don't know. I'm, I got some questions then. Okay. So and you can respond back to these, and I want to get into figuring out what does this business model look like? Because from not knowing really anything more than that, I guess my thought to you, and maybe you've heard some of this, is, well, doesn't the labor earn, like, what's wrong with the labor earning his wage there, right? Or um, how else then as an agent or someone in the brokerage world, how else am I supposed to get paid and make a living from this job? How did you begin to kind of push through those barriers in order to create a sustainable business model to allow people to create their equity? Because I totally think that's a great vision. But at the same time, I think, well, what's wrong with people actually getting paid for their hard work as well? There's a lot that goes into selling a home and marketing and stuff. So I'd love to hear how that journey came for you. Yeah, so I'll be as simplistic as I possibly can about this. Um, there's nothing wrong with making as much money as you can possibly make. That's awesome. I'm all for capitalism. Conscious capitalism, we'll come back to that in a bit. Um, but as far as capitalism is concerned, I began to realize that if I cannot clearly articulate my value in the service that I'm bringing to the table and how much I charge for my value, that's a fundamental problem. It's almost like you take your car to a car wash. You got, you're going to take your wife out to, to a nice dinner. It's her birthday. You want to get the car clean because the kids have been, you know, having cookies and stuff all in the car. You're like, I'm going to get the car clean. I'll pick her up. I'll make it smell nice. We're going out on a date. 
and you get to the car wash place and there is no um, pricing on the board. And you get there and like, hey, I need to get a car wash, but how much does it cost? And I go, well, before we wash your car, we're gonna need to run a Kelly's Blue Book analysis on your car and see what the value is, and then we're gonna price you. Hey, whoa, whoa, I just need a simple service. But yeah, I just wanna see how much your car is worth because it's worth more, we're gonna charge you more. Like there, there's a bit of an equitableness in my opinion, if you cannot, listen, if you're gonna charge somebody $50,000, I charge $50,000 across the board. This is what I charge or what I, what I do for that 50,000. If you're going to charge one person five and one person 50, and you do the same amount of work and you're attaching your value to that individual's value, not to your value. It just kind of seems a little greasy to me. It doesn't seem like you're treating all people fairly. So in transactions, there's a three sided marketplace. There is the client, there is the agent and there's the brokers that owns the company in a sense. The middleman, the agent, is the one that is creating a circumstance where the client is having to pay more because the brokerage is involved in that transaction and they're making the, the very small fractions of the commission. So what I wanted to do is just say, hey, the broker and the client, we will just work directly together. The middleman is the one that's undercutting both of us. So for example, on a $335,000 house, 3% commission on the sale side is about $10,000 what they're gonna pay. Well, most agents are gonna get around 80% of that. So they get eight. I, as the business owner, got 2,000 bucks. The client paid 10, I got two. So if I just came to the client and said, hey, our company is gonna deliver service for you, we're just gonna charge you 5,000 bucks, so you're gonna save five grand. Well, normally we would have made 2,000, which is 20% of the 10,000. When I charge five, I actually made 150% more. So I can make 150% more money and I can charge the clients 50% less because the middleman has become the problem, which is the independent contractor, the agent. The average agent in the country sells 5.5 houses. The, average, the median house in America is 290,000 bucks. The average uh, agent per the National Association of Realtors works 16 hours on behalf of a client, which turns out that the client is paying about $543 an hour for representation. So you go to school for two weeks to get your license and you make $543 an hour. By contrast, a surgeon may go to school for eight years and can't even make that much money. An attorney may go to school for four years and a high paid attorney may make 350 to 400. I mean, if you're going to advise your kid, go become a realtor for two weeks, and charge somebody $543 an hour. That seems like the deal of the world. So, but my question though, is you therefore cut out your salespeople to be able to extend kind of your sales arm into the marketplace. So right. how did you get around that? Uh, commissionless agents uh, that are on salary. So the average agent nationwide makes 42,000 bucks. It's because you're not doing enough volume of work. So in our model, you can do a lot more volume of work and make a lot more money because of volume. You're not going to make as much per pop, but if you're only doing 5.5 houses, so basically a house every other month, well, yeah, you need to get about, get as much out of it as you possibly can because you're not going to have enough reps to be able to make more money for us because of our model, we're able to have more volume of leads that gives them more reps to make more money. Okay. Explain that to me a little bit. So they, they, they come on salary and they have a base salary. How base are they? They get bonuses per transaction. Okay, great. So bonuses per transaction. Yeah. So it's base plus bonuses. I mean, I mean, we could easily have an agent make 85,000 where they typically would have made 42,000. I mean, we can, we can make twice as much money under our model by eliminating our competition. Right. And how does like a, someone uh, imagining that the, your agents, right? They, you're recruiting or they're coming out of a more traditional agent type role. Is that correct? Yeah, we don't really, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're not trying to grow a bunch of agents and have a bunch of agents and trying to reformat traditional agents. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's just hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. uh, you can take a personality profile, like a disc profile, and we know like what personality traits make a lot of sense for this model. And because historically the real estate industry, we get paid on our connections, not our competency. Traditionally, it's based on who do you know? Well, because we have a compelling offer, 
that is far better for the client than anybody else. We're able to create our own leads. So it doesn't really matter who you know. We have leads that are making decisions in their best interest because of the financial savings. The average client saves about 10,000 bucks. Wow. So your goal, you said earlier, was a hundred million in equity goal to save clients, right? That was that, 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 that correctly? hundred million dollars for our clients by 2025. So what are the things now, like what are the distinctions for Scout Realty? Like the, you know, the, the business meetings, the goal settings that you're really looking at, the measurables that maybe are different than the old kind of brokerage model. What are you guys celebrating inside of your company? Yeah, very simply, most traditional brokerages, they are um, looking for agent count. How many agents do we have? That That's actually like a, uh, a, a, a bad metric to measure because the, the number of agents does not constitute more business or profitability. Um, right now, we're in a growth stage, so what we're measuring is how can we predictably create a customer that transcends a relationship? So what I mean by that is, in the traditional model is it's based on your friends and family. Who do you know that's an agent? You're wearing your friends and family out to use you. That's unpredictable, but unpredictable because uh, you don't know where your next deal is coming from. So through our marketing strategies, through our business development strategies, through our joint ventures and our strategic partnerships, predictably creating a customer base, customer base that is not something that we are Facebook friends with or Instagram friends with. We send Christmas cards to. We don't know them. They've responded to a offer. Very similar to the, why you would go to a restaurant. You don't go to a restaurant because you know the owner. You go to the restaurant because they've got coupons that came in the mail, or you went to go get your cell phone plan because they got great, you know, uh, data um, packages. You, you didn't buy your computer because you knew Steve Jobs back in the day. You know, we, our industry is so relational that I believe that it it walks a very thin line of you utilize those relationships to take more from them than you deliver. It's a very thin line. It's a very dangerous line. I mean, there's, there's um, the National Association of Realtors put out last year a report called the Danger Report. Huge report on how dangerous independent contractors, agents around the country are being for clients. And it's just, it's, it's just, it's embarrassing to say the least. So we're trying to solve that problem on behalf of the consumer. We're going to bat for them. Hmm. I love that, man. I mean, it really is like what we talked about. What does it look like to be a disruptor? I mean, when you think about what you're doing, do you qualify it as I'm disrupting the market or you, I mean, how, how do you word it? Or when, when you're I'm not against something, I'm for something. And okay. so when I see that $10,000 savings for me, there are, there are families that if our, I'm using 10,000 as an average, but I mean, families who save way more than that, but you know, there's families out there that, do not are not capable of having kids and they need fertility treatments and that's a lot of that's very expensive and so whenever we help them save that money they can reallocate those funds to hopefully get pregnant and ha not just buy a house but to build a home you know we have people that are looking to retire that's an extra year or two of retirement that they just saved there's some people who need to buy a new minivan for their family and by helping them retain that money they're able to not just sell the house but buy that much needed vehicle that they need, buy new furniture, pay for a wedding, dump debt, pay for college. I mean, there's so many life, life needs that people have. And when they have a liquidation of an asset, that amount of uh, savings, it's newfound money. They have to go to work and work harder for it. When they recoup that, they can reallocate it into things that are uh, in their best interest. And these are not just fake examples. These are real examples that you've experienced oh. inside your company. Yeah, it was funny. I had a friend the other day that, that we were we, we were doing like some employee benefits programs with some like local companies. And um, he happened to be with me and I was sharing with him what we're doing. And he goes, oh, man. He goes, Jonathan, whenever I sold our house, I mean, we saved so much money. We went to Disney World for a couple of weeks. <laughs> he said we ended up going traveling for another couple of weeks after that to Florida. He's like, I mean, we saved 14 grand and that was amazing for our family to be able to have this memory. And so he, he, I got a picture of him in front of Goofy with the family and got a testimonial about how they, how their family got to create a memory with newfound money that he didn't have to go out there and earn. Yeah. I had a, a couple one time that saved about 12,000 bucks and they were able to take that $12,000 and buy a more expensive house than they would have normally bought because that $12,000, if they were to put 10% 10 down on a home, 
it gave them the ability to buy $120,000 more of a house. Mm. They had more of a down payment. Mm -hmm. Well, what that did was is that they actually were able to purchase a house in a better school district for their kids. So they got better education and the house was closer to the father's work, which shortened the commute time. So dad had a better work-life balance. The kids are in a better school system and they own a, a, a more expensive home, which as things are appreciating, they're, it's going to appreciate higher. So it's a win-win-win. So you're at, like I said, Inc. 5000 company, you know, massive growth. You sold over 1,500 homes. Is it, is it just that now that you're able to do more volume that's kind of giving you this growth? Or what else inside of your business model have you begun to create kind of around now that you can do these type of transactions? I remember us kind of talking, you were bringing some other stuff in-house. Can you talk about that and kind of what else this has opened up? Um, to give us a little bit of an inside look. Yeah, that starts to get um, deep down the rabbit hole. So I try to be as surface as I can. But does it, does it still, I mean, is that still an applicable question, I guess, to, to what you're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, typically when we sell a house and we make uh, a transaction like, or a commission off a transaction, um, that's just a one-time hop. But we started to realize what is the total customer value? Like customers need a loan, they need insurance, they need a title company, they need a home inspector, they need a warranty. They need a security system, they need pest control, they need cleaning service, lawn care service. I mean, there's so many services that people uh, subscribe to when they're buying or selling a house. So we started to say, what if we vertically integrated all these services in our company and it was a full, full stack from start to finish? And what it did was instead of having just a one-time uh, transaction, now we look at it as the total customer value. The next thing is a lot of those services happen month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year. And now we, we are able to start to move in a direction where we may have hundreds of transactions with someone over five to seven years as they're living in that house because they're paying for their security system, they're paying for their insurance, they're paying mortgage payments, they're paying um, uh, uh, Terminex pest control or something of that nature. I mean, now we've gone from a customer to a client. Customer is a one-time transaction. A client is, a, is an ongoing relationship that is continued to add value over and over and over and over and over again. So it's really transformed how we look at our business model. It's not just a real estate services company. It's actually a, a fully integrated company with all the different industries um, uh, that is now becoming, um, it's called PropTech, a property technology company that we're building SaaS software around hmm. how to automate, integrate, and predictable uh, have predictability within those related services. Cause, but you're not, you're not necessarily like, you're not, you're, you're still kind of brokering out those other services though. Right. And you're bringing them under house or how does that work? Yeah. I mean, some of them we have in house and some of those we're still doing joint ventures with, I mean, in time, I mean, we'll bring everything we can in house, but we, we do own other companies that we directly refer to ourselves and very, very, uh, uh, disclosing about that to the client. I mean, there's a there's a um, affiliate business arrangement uh, document that we send to them to explain we own these companies. This is how we refer to ourselves. You get you have the choice to use who you want to use. Uh, but there's a there's a couple that we refer out. But over time, we just keep doing mergers and acquisitions hmm. and bring things in home in house. That's cool. I don't think I realized that you were also acquiring businesses related to the home buying process under under your business as well. That's next level. I love that, man. That's beautiful vision. So um, we haven't even gotten to like you have this model, but then you also have this nonprofit that's tied to your business, yeah. uh, Homes for Homes. And so explain to our audience what Homes for Homes is and how that ties into kind of the bigger picture as well. Yeah, Homes for Homes is a nonprofit that I set up years ago um, after I heard Blake McCoskey speak with Tom Shoes. Um, about the whole one for one. I heard him speak and I was like blown away that I was like, man, it's amazing. What if I did that in real estate? That was in 2011. And in 2012, I started trying to identify widows and orphans. James 127 was pure and undefiled religion is to take care of widows and orphans and keep yourself free from the world. And I thought, what if I sold houses and gave houses? And we started to, uh, sell houses and give houses. And I kind of, I kind of came down to the, to the place that because we're in America and because we are the beneficiaries of being in a, a capitalistic environment, 
and uh, we have privileges that other people don't have. And so because we have the privilege of being in this environment, we had the ability to earn and produce far more than we could consume if we're being wise stewards of what God's entrusted to us. So because we can produce unlike other people, what is our reasonable response in starting to, to lean into like, and I want to be consciously capitalistic. I want to be aware that I'm not American. I'm more of a global citizen and I'm not just in the Harris family. I actually have brothers and sisters across the world that are children of God. And so, you know, this taking on this uh, mindset that I'm a child of God serving children of God, and I want to be an answer to people's prayers. And so as we sell houses, we build houses in countries like Uganda or Mexico or Honduras, Guatemala. Uh, we've housed uh, probably north of 1,300 uh, people. Uh, we've built, you know, north of 250 houses. It cost about 300 or $3,500 to build houses on average in the countries that we're in. And so, I mean, we've, we've done some amazing work. I mean, I'm, I, I'm very, 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 very proud of what God is doing with and through us through Homes for Homes. And we have uh, people who want to be involved in that. Uh, it's homesforhomes.org is the website. So I want to check it out. But I will say that Whenever I started to lean into connecting to God's heart in relationship to widows and orphans and taking care of them, um, and when I decided that this was going to be core to our business model is to build houses, um, man, it was it was it's been it's been a ride. I tell you, it's been such a blessing to me and been blessing other people and inviting people to be a part of that. Um, I, I will I will speak to this is that whenever you know I think it's important to give. Um, for me to give, I'm, I'm measuring what is the immediate impact to solve a problem or to meet a need? What's the impact? And then what is the duration? Like how long is this uh, dollar going to be able to be in play? Mm -hmm. So it's not to diminish other nonprofits and what they do. I think there's a lot of great ones out there. But I start to look at ours and I'm like, man, for 3500 bucks, we can have a house built in less than two weeks. Man, at $3,500, this structure could be a roof over their head for over a decade. That is amazing. It's 100% dollar for dollar. Me and my board, we fund and underwrite everything. So any donors that give, it's 100% dollar for dollar. We have families that we've identified. We have their stories of who's looking for housing. And then whenever you get connected to a family and we build that family, there's a completion report have a ton of transparency. Um, so I'm really, really, really proud to partner with people who um, they connect on, on with God's heart, take care of what is an orphans in impoverished countries. So. Yeah. I love that, man. What about like, that is kingdom capitalists at its, at its true value right there. I, I want to get into that a little bit though, because I think I've had a lot of conversation with folks recently who've asked me about building nonprofits or creating nonprofits kind of within their business model. And so um, not to get too granular, but I, I do want to kind of figure out how you set that up and how that you say it costs $3,500 per house. Yep. And so how do you fact, but it's house for house. How do you, let's first talk about like, how do you factor that into your, your, your model of business? Like where, that's, is that actually when you guys sell or list a house, you take 3,500 of that 5,000, for example, or how, how does that work? Yeah, it's not a straight line. Um, you know, for when we first started, I felt like it was very important for it to not be uh, the Scout Realty Show and for it to not be the Jonathan Harris Show. I wanted the Homes for Homes to be something totally separate from my company, and I wanted it to be at very much arm's length for me personally. The reason why is because I want to see God's uh, uh, work and, his, and, and, his, and the goodness for people to be as much as broad and as expansive as possible. Hmm. Inevitably, if we did, if it was Scout Realty's thing, well then maybe a mortgage company or an insurance company or title company may not feel so comfortable to give to a real estate company or, or to like something that was so closely tied. When I found it, I brought in a board and I found uh, people from the mortgage industry, from the title industry, from home builders, from just business people, and built a board that's very interdisciplined from other industries and began to, um, I don't want to say like low light myself, but certainly trying to make it about the organization and let the organization stand out 
versus me at the forefront driving at home. Because again, if other realtors or other real estate companies may not be so inclined. So I'm very proud to say like, we have a lot of our competitors here in town that are very active and generous in the Homes for Homes model. And we are very much aligned around that. So um, I don't believe that that ever would have been possible if we're playing to like corner the market on good. Mm. And so for us, yeah. I want to get it out of, out of our company, out of my hands and invite people to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think that that's probably one of the, the, the coolest things about our nonprofit is direct competitors are as much, if not more involved in some cases as me and my own company. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful because it's not like, Hey, look at us, come to come by with scout because we give a home with every home that we, you know, purchase or whatever you just said, I want to, I mean, I, I want to be conscious about the way that we're earning money and I want to create something that's going to impact people that, that God really cares about. That's yeah. powerful, man. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause then you're trying to like box out your competitors to like, okay, we're the ones that are doing good for people. We're like the, the bleeding hearts and we've got something, you know, we're more generous than other people. No, like we're trying to advance God's kingdom. Yeah. Like you're invited to go on this journey with us and let's do good together. Even though like we have a different business model, we're still trying to amplify good. That's why I said, I don't, I didn't want to corner the market on good. I wanted to do something that other people could be participants in yeah. and hopefully come to a connection with their savior. If they weren't Christians, you know, hopefully they would come into connection of being a force for good and a force for God. Yeah. You know, so I think that the ground's pretty level at the foot of the cross and sometimes business causes us to be unnecessarily competitive that creates unnecessary walls, not bridges. Mm. Mm. For people who are kind of wanting, they're hearing this model and they're like, I, I, I've had this dream of creating this nonprofit or kind of starting something similar to this. Just some, like, again, like I've had this conversation many times, I work for a nonprofit, but I never really started at a nonprofit what are some steps people can take to begin? Like, what did you do when you kind of had this vision 2011, you heard Tom, you know, this whole model, what did, what, what were the initial steps just to get people going? We don't have to lay out the whole thing, but if they're hearing this, they're like, yes, I got this idea. I've been wanting to do it. What's the first or few steps? Um, I think first is you need to be very clear about your nature. And this is, this is like kind of a, like a, <laughs> You, like not a clear step, but if, if you like for me, I'm a visionary and I'm not an integrator. Um, I'm not a builder and I can I can envision something. I can build strategy around it. I can build a game plan around it. But if it actually comes to implementing it and executing it, uh, there's people who are much more equipped to it than I am. So as far as like someone who wants to start build a nonprofit or something like that, I think the first honest question is, is that in alignment with your nature? For me, the answer was no way. And I found an individual uh, in my, my, my co-founder, Mike Smalling, his wife worked for a nonprofit and she was an integrator. That, that woman, Michelle Smalling is a boss. She can get anything done. And so if the visionary were to have this vision of what we're gonna do and we're, we could do this, it, 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 my business would have always pulled away from it. Hmm. So what I did was, align myself with people who are capable of doing things that I could not do to give it the best chance of survival, to give it the best chance to thrive. And I, there's no chance in the world that homes for homes or would have done what it's done if I were the one that was doing it. So I think like first step is, is this in alignment with your nature? Second off is what is your role in the organization? So for me, I know my role is very specific. I give. I'm the philanthropy arm. I do not do the work. I do not source the houses. I know my, I know where my sweet spot is and that's where I stay <clears throat> because there's, 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 we came to the reality that we are not going to go up there and build houses. We are going to employ local laborers. We're going to invest in their economy. We're going to buy local material. We're going to find local leaders, pastors, mission organizations to identify the families they are going to make recommendations, deliver stories, and we're going to decide based on a, a framework of who would be the recipient of the house. So if I were the one that's trying to source families and trying to meet mission partners, and I'm trying to find the laborers and the, and the uh, supplies, it's not my role. I know my role. I know my lane. I'm staying only in my lane. And that's, so I think, it's, so your listeners, step by step, what's your nature? 
step is what's your role in the ongoing uh, 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 life of the organization? And then probably three is to pick your team. Pick your team, inviting them in to be a part of something that God's laid in your heart and giving them the freedom to say no if God didn't put on their heart. Because the last thing you want to do is to, to bring a team together based on excitement and an idea. You want to bring a team together of people who are like, my heart aligns with this. I feel God's leadership in my life, and I want to say yes to him, not yes to you. And game on after that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the keys to, to any successful business in general, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of what you laid out there. Uh, it really starts with kind of knowing who you are and what role you're going to play. So, excellent, man. That's actually really helpful for me to even think about. I'm, that, that CEO visionary mindset, really, uh, you have to kind of realize you're, you're not the executor, even though you have all these ideas, right? Uh, which I think is, is so huge for the visionaries out there to realize you need somebody else in your life to help you get things done. <laughs> Yeah, I would say step four, let me just give you a quick step four, is write a check, so a, a substantial check. I mean, like, I wrote some checks early on. It's like, oh, God, that's a, that's a lot of money I'm writing. Like, I feel, I'm, I'm, like, it makes you invested in it, right? Yeah. And find a need, because sometimes I think people are like, we're going to try this, get this nonprofit on the ground, we're going to get this thing going. And you're going for big, not, like, you're going to miss someone in need, like that needs you like next week because you're getting the structure ready for something that can be impactful in 18 months from now, 12 months from now. So write a big check to get you financially and you're like, you're tied into this. I'm committed. I wrote the check and I was looking for someone specifically to bless and improve the quality of your life. When you start to get feedback and get a story about like, Oh my gosh, that is an amazing story that I got to be a part of. Then you get hooked. Okay, who else can I write a check for? Who else is in need? So you just need some early wins of blessing someone. That's great. That is great advice. I mean, that that might be better than knowing who you are, right? Because I love that because then it gets addicting. And then you put something to it. You put a person behind it. Because it's more than just writing a check. I'm solving a need is you know, you want to there is something really powerful about being emotionally tied to to what you're giving. So the reason I say write a check, uh, Ellis, is because there's an element of sacrifice. Yeah. It costs you something. But, I mean, I, I mean I've, I've seen this happen. People just sit at the coffee shop and they're talking about their nonprofit, talking about the things they want to do, drinking coffee, talking about it, talking about it, ideating, doing research, getting some things together, talking to the right people. Go write a check. Feel sacrifice and departure of your money. Because when you feel that depart, because sometimes everybody's like looking for donors. You donate. You write, you write a check for a house. Well, I'm looking for donors and trying to get our donor base, getting awareness and getting the message out there. No, no. You make a sacrifice. You make it hurt a little bit and make somebody's life better. Get the story and get addicted to your, like get addicted to that story. Like, okay, I saw if I go, to my bank account, I write a check, I find a person need, I give it to them, it blesses them, their life's better, they find God, all the things. Okay, I can do this again. Okay, now I can tell somebody else how I did it. Okay, now I can communicate how they can do it. Like it, but everybody's asking for, for money, but you ain't written road check. I mean, I, I, I kind of I have a sensitivity about that because I, I do get asked for contribution and I want to be a generous giver, but I, I have found that there's a lot of great ideas. There's, there's not a lot of people who are willing to write the check and put their, put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on a different note, I was really great by the way, but on a different note, I got, I got a personal question for you is, you know, I'm younger entrepreneur kingdom minded and trying to really grow our own business. And, um, how do you, how do I want to word this? How do you stay like you're a real model for me, man. Like, you know, you really do inspire me when we talk together and I'm hearing about what you're doing and also just your love for Christ. And, um, it just feels so like it's like, it's one thing. Uh, how do you stay sharp in both of those areas, both as an ambitious entrepreneur, right. And someone who's in the marketplace at the same time, but also, uh, just like you said, we stay humble at the foot of the cross, 
Um, and I don't, you know, I, maybe I'm making this this too complicated, but I find that those two circles, that's even the whole point of kingdom capitalists, is that these conversations don't happen very often together. Yeah, yeah. You do it so it seems like it comes so natural for you. And so, what are the practices or even the people in your life that help you really stay sharp in both those areas? Yeah, I'll give you my perspective on that. I don't see it as two different worlds at all. Not at all. To me, it is the same, 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 same thing. And I'll give you a couple ideas behind that. Um, the, the first thing is I believe that business is the ultimate spiritual game. Like I think God invented business to see if we can take ourselves, like our capacity, our potential, and can we maximize ourselves, our potential? So um, I've heard it called a you know, human life value before. I mean, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but like how valuable are you? And I think to die with potential would be the absolute ultimate failure. Mm. Like God has given you the ability to be 16 ounces, but you were only 10 ounces. So for me, the training never stops. There is a continued pursuit of development in all aspects of life. I want to be as valuable as I possibly can by increasing my potential or by, by um, defeating my potential. Like I want to be fully maximized. I want to be fully who God envisioned when he created me. And so the first thing is like, how valuable can an individual be in the game of business? I come back to this. The second phase is, is how do I deploy my value to the greatest number of people? And, and I don't want to be semantical because because somebody could be listening about this and saying, oh, he's talking about himself. He's not talking about God, what God's working in. When I say my value, it's almost like I believe God has given me the power. He's given me abilities. So I'm reflecting what he's giving me. Does that, that make sense? Oh. So I can say God's power in me or God's value yeah, in me. Yeah. It's, it's your unique superpower ability, the things that God's created and given to you. So I have a responsibility to maximize everything that God's given me to become all the, the man that God has envisioned when he created Secondly is I'm on mission to add value to as many people as I can possibly add value to. And third phase is I believe fundamentally from a spiritual sense, when you do that, it is moving you towards your soul purpose, the reason for your existence, what God created you to be from a business sense. It's a law of reciprocation. When you add value to people, you receive value in return. And so I just view that business is the ultimate spiritual game is that can you take your value and give it away to as many people as possible and bless their lives and be a force for good and a force for God. And uh, if we didn't have business, then I, did, I just, I don't think, I don't think that it'd be a, a, a value enriching value adding uh, type of environment for people to live in. Everybody's in it for themselves. So it's in a sense, if you don't give and contribute, you're going to die. If you don't work, you don't eat, you know, that, that, that type of principle. So, um, fundamentally to labor on someone's behalf is probably the second greatest gift that you can give any other human being besides your love. Mm -hmm. So I want to labor on behalf as many people as I possibly can. That's why our model was designed to serve more people and to make it a no brainer, irresistible offer to, you know, we want to give, 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 because I think that I, my company, what God's given us the ability to do is very valuable. We're trying to maximize, 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 maximize. How many people can we possibly give this away to? You know, to me, that's a good life. To me, that's life worth living is because they'll see your good works and glorify the father in heaven. If you do it for the right reason. <laughs> yeah. Do you have, Absolutely. But and then my second question, my follow up to that is, how do you keep reminding yourself of that vision? Because that's sharp. And I have found in these conversations and people and people I'm ministering to that just like the but this business, what you're saying and being in this world, it's so it's so the opposite of that, though, that the sharpness of that vision, the clarity of that vision just continues to get rubbed down, right? Because of the 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 friction of the marketplace the selfishness of the marketplace um how do you stay so focused or so so clear and that that is what god's called you to do and not lean towards a traditional view of capitalism where we're taking advantage of people for our own gain and and i i, I guess i'm not saying like is is there accountability that you have in your life is it just being plugged into your local church are you around other ambitious kingdom leaders what does that really look like for you on a daily basis 
Ooh, uh, man, I could, I, there's so many things there that I could say to you, Ellis, but I am relentless about pushing the, 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 the boundaries of what I know, what I perceive. Like I, I listen to podcasts, I listen to sermons, I listen to worship music, like entertainment's not something that I really gravitate towards. Like I'm not trying to like be entertained through life. <laughs> to me, like progress equals happiness. I'm trying to progress. I'm trying to learn. So I don't know that something like it's actually a willpower of going, I'm going to go like today, I'm going to go find something to learn. And I, it's like, I'm just hungry for it. Like the more I discover and the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. And so um, I, probably one of my biggest influences was years ago, I heard a guy named Erwin McManus. He's a pastor out of LA. Man, I listen to Erwin McManus every week. I mean, I've read all his books. I mean, that guy does such a phenomenal job of weaving in um, created order. And so like I'll say created order, um, Sometimes like like church, and I think, man, your listeners may hate this, by the way, but sometimes we are so focused on what the Bible says that we miss out on what God did. So here's what I mean by that. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about gravity. Gravity's real. <laughs> the created order of gravity is a real thing. But if you're looking through the Bible to find out if E equals MC squared is of God or not, I can tell you it is of God. It's in the created order. And so there's things that I just find that the Bible, that like the stars don't declare God's handiwork because the Bible said so. Mm. They do, and the Bible reflected it. And so Erwin, the thing that resonates with me is he's speaking about the created order and the insights that he, that he is seeing of how God constructed humanity. Like even a study of psychology is understanding like how do, does our human brains work? How does our nature work? This is a discovery of God and how he made us in his image. There are times to where the, the, the Bible certainly complements those things. There's times the Bible is the authority that reveals those things. Um, I don't think that anything contrary to Scripture is worthwhile at all. So don't hear me say that. But I think that to go outside of just what the Bible has to say to inform us about our knowledge of God. I mean, there is things like our moral compass. There is things about, like I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old girl, a little baby girl that she does not, I never taught her how to ask a question. Never said, Hey, baby, her name is love. Hey, love. Um, here's how you ask a question. I never taught her. How. She just knows how to ask a question. It's just instinctive. God put that in her heart. In a sense, if we have questions as business owners, as men of God, that question was given to us to draw us closer, to close the gap of obscurity to knowledge and being in a reckless pursuit of closing that gap with questions in our heart. So how do, how do I go about keeping it sharp? I'm in relentless pursuit, looking at the created order, relentless pursuit of being God's word, relentless pursuit of finding people who are exceptional at their craft. I don't, I don't stick uh, strictly to what Christians have to say about things. I mean, I have a lot of uh, influences in my life that have no regard for Jesus or the Bible at all, but they're really strong copywriters. They know how to write copy. They're really strong at negotiations. I want to learn from them. So like I try to take life almost like a science experiment and have totally interdisciplined thoughts and experience. Cause I mean, I grew up in the church. I grew up as a Christian and I do think there's conditioning there. That's really beneficial. But I also think that can create blind spots and stigmas that will cause us to be impaired to sensing where God wants to move us because we can't justify or make sense of it. What the Bible has said. Yeah. Wow. So not contradictory, don't hear me that, but I think that God is speaking to us. I'll give you an example. I went, to, I went on a mission trip one time. It was in, it was in Armenia, and on the top of this mountain, um, it, it was close to Mount Ararat where uh, Noah's Ark was. Top is, it was close by there, close to the border of Turkey, way up on this mountain, and I saw this thing, and I told my translator, I was like, I want to go on that mountain and take some pictures. And he's like, oh, that's, that's a long ways up there. And I said, no, let's go, let's go, let's go. We got, we got the afternoon, let's go. And I started hiking up this mountain. And I'm telling you, Ellis, it was in the middle of nowhere. No village. When I say nowhere, the middle of nowhere. Couldn't see a building in sight. And as we were coming towards the top of this mountain, there was like this thicket. And all of a sudden, this old woman, man, she was haggard, hops out of this thicket right in front of me, scared me to death, like six feet in front of me. She hopped out. She's like, 
ah, and I was like, I mean, she scared me to death. <laughs> My translator, I was like, I was like, what the heck was, what, what is she doing? And he's like, she wants to know why you're here. And I said, tell her, cause I want to hike a mountain. Why is she here? And he goes, well, he wants to hike the mountain. Why are you here? And she goes, I live up here in, in, in Armenian. And she goes, tell me why you're here, here in Armenia. You're from America. And I said, I'm, I, I'm coming to tell people about Jesus and about what God's, uh, God wants to do in their life. And she started to cry and said, I've lived on this mountain my entire life. There's nobody around. She's like, I've lived on this mountain for a long time. And, I, and God has been telling me that he had a son. I just never knew what his name was. Mm. And I've known that there's been a disconnect. This is all, you know, through a translator. I know that God is, is right and I am not right. And I knew that there was some way that I had to bridge that gap. I just didn't know his name. She, she didn't even know what a Bible is, right? There's something that God is in pursuit of humanity and wants to reveal himself to with or without our traditional means. And man, I think that if we listen and we are sensitive to, to, to the leadership of the Lord in our life, if we give maybe a lot more credit to our desires than what maybe we would feel comfortable to, I think that your desires are a clue of how you've been designed. And I think your desires are going to reveal your destiny a lot of times. But we like, oh, I'm self-denying my desires versus how God's built, gave you desires. If you're starving the flesh and feeding the spirit, I think you can trust your desires. What do you want to do? Do it. Like, like God has began to galvanize your heart to lead you toward your desires. So in my business, I, I kind of take the approach of I'm just going to do what I want to do because I'm in pursuit of God. And I want to be in pursuit of him. And I believe I can trust my desires if I have contribution and advancement of his kingdom in mind. Amen, brother. Jonathan, to wrap up, what is um, for you a struggle as a kingdom capitalist? Oh, man, like I am, I am a total sinful person. And whenever you're in, um, I was asked earlier today, like, what is it like building your, your, your company? I said, it's kind of like flying a plane and building it when you're flying it. Like there's things that you don't know. And so whenever you have a company that every day, all day, they're in meetings with you and in your office. I mean, there's times where it's like, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know, but you've got to, I mean, like you, you may not respond in love mm-hmm. and you're like, gosh, I'm so sorry. My, 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 my core values I, I, I wasn't mindful of that. I don't want to say I'm sorry. Like I could have done a better job. You know, man, I'm a total sinner. And whenever you are a leader in a business, I, I have, again, this may not, may not play well for your audience, but I have found it's better for me to be whole than to be fake, but to, than to fake right. Because I, wanted, I hope that my people over years start to see maturation. Man, Jonathan was, I remember five years ago when he was like this, but you know, he's really like, it's evident of God's work in our life. Sometimes we wear masks and we want to be perceived in such a way that no one would know God's work in your life because you are really good at displaying a fakeness. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm pretty real to my people when I'm upset, I'm upset when I'm, you know, not happy. I'm not happy. Um, you know, there's times to where God stirs my heart and says, you didn't reflect me very well. And I think that gives a great opportunity to say, you know what? God has convicted me and this may not be understandable to you, but here's how I wish I would have handled that in light of how God has, has uh, spoken to me since yesterday. And so, uh, yeah, man, I, I really, I'm in very full view of my sin nature most days because I, out of fear or out of unknown, I'm, I'm completely exposed and vulnerable most days with my people because we're pioneering the unknown. And sometimes my flesh comes out in a very real and authentic way that God is still refining, working out with me. And my people get to see that uh, on full display that it does not reflect my creator, but it also gives me opportunity to grow into that and to come back when God stirs my heart and come back and say, Hey, I would have done things differently yesterday in light of what God has taught me. And it also, again, like you said at the beginning of this, like the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? Which is what that brings you back to, to know that you aren't, you aren't Christ. You're, you're trying to be Christ in your business, 
uh, and you're still is in need of that grace as much as anybody else. Excellent word there, man. Um, grace, by the way, mm. is you forgive the way you want to be forgiven. And so that's a core value of our company. That's pretty spiritual, if, if ever, is we just realize people aren't going to be perfect. So grace is a core value, and that's something that we try to exercise in real time with one another. That's, I tell you, our actions may not be Christ-like in real time. However, grace is Christ-like, and it gives us a great way to continue to reintroduce and get better and get better, become more and more and more in the likeness of Him. Yeah, so well said. Uh, if our audience wants to, to learn more about Scout Realty, where do they go? And then how do they get in touch with you, man, if they want to uh, learn more about you? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you my cell phone number. Uh, very simply, it's 615-364-0222. Uh, they can go to our website, scoutrealty.com. Uh, you will not find my cell phone number there. There may be an email address. I don't know if it's there, but I do not check emails at all. <laughs> So don't email me. Does somebody else take emails for you? <laughs> if, if, if they, if it falls under some categories, they know that this is important enough for me to respond to. So Incredible. phone numbers, I'm, I'm, I'm very easy to get on the phone. 615-364-0222. Hey man, thanks so much for just being open for our audience. I, I absolutely love that. And I, I really hope people take it up. Uh, take you up on that offer to get you on the phone, man. So brother, thank you again, man, for making time for this. It really was an inspiration. I'm so um, pumped about uh, just what you're doing there in that marketplace in Nashville, but really for the world. And and thanks for your business and, and really having people, other people at the center, at the core of your model. I think um, well done is in store for you, man. So keep going and I'm really grateful for you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on, Alex, uh, Kingdom Capitalist. Keep on tuning in. Uh, this is an important uh, podcast that Ellis is doing. So much love to you, and I wish you continued success. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind and even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.